0: Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. Let's just pray first. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I pray that everything that's said tonight brings glory to you and you alone. I thank you for your anointing upon your word. It's your word, Lord. I thank you for your anointing on the service from the worship time and your presence here and everyone's prayers. And I thank you, Father, for carrying that on. I thank you for touching every life tonight here with your word in some way, including me, Lord, that somehow we go, past, go home with an anointing, a, a difference, a revelation in you, in Jesus' name, amen. I um, am sometimes guilty of giving you scriptures too quickly, so I've uh, given all the scriptures to Grant, so as I mention them, he's going to flick them up on here. They are, of course, from the anointed translation, the New King James Version, so if you, uh, if you need to translate them, you, uh, you go ahead. I want to ask the question, who are we? Uh, Ray just gave me an introduction just there before and picked out various things that were important to give you some framework about me being up here. But, you know, who are we really? You know, if I came round with a microphone and asked each of you, who are you? What would you pick on? What would you quickly, in one minute, decide to describe yourself? You know, often we go back to the context, don't we? Uh, Who's listening? Who needs to know what? What am I really going to divulge? You know, I'm not going to really let the guard down too much. And the context really defines what we do most of the time, isn't it? Who are you and how do you see yourself is really the question, though. If I really asked you honestly about who do you see you are, what would you say? See, to me, there's three mirrors. There's three mirrors. Not a sound mirror bouncing around, but a mirror... In the physical sense, the first one is the body mirror, or the physical mirror, the mirror that we get up and have a look at in the morning, hopefully once every morning before you're allowed out on the street to be worthy to be <laughs> in the community. Make sure you're respectable enough. The physical mirror, but if I came up and asked you who you are tonight, you're not going to go on that basis. You're not going to say, "Oh, um, I'm 5 foot8, no, I've got dark hair." And well, you can see each other. That's pointless, isn't it? You're going to go on something a little bit deeper than that. The second mirror is the mirror of the soul. And the mirror of the soul is really defined by the world, in a sense. Your expectations, the things that the world puts on you, the culture that you're brought up in, the, uh, the society that brought you up, your family, your experiences, what the world reflects back at you, what the world expects you to be, and what to puts you in a box. Right? There's a reflection from the world back which makes you a certain thing. And that's usually when someone says, who are you, that's where you're going to come from. But there's a third mirror, isn't there? The mirror of the spirit. The connection, the identification, God's view of who you are. God's view of who you are. In 2 Corinthians 3:18, I'm sure you know it well. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That as we observe the Lord Jesus Christ and understand and know Him more, that we get changed to be like Him. You know, it's not just the fact that we worship Him more, but we get changed to be like Him. Every time we look at Him, it's like a mirror seeing ourselves. Isn't that astounding? As we get to know Jesus, we become like Him. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And Jesus is really our spiritual mirror. You can sum it up in three ways, in this way, sorry, in, in a simple way. There's three mirrors. How do you see ourselves in the natural? How does the world see us? And how does God see us? And, you know, and thinking about what Steve McCracken said last week, we need to have a look at how God sees things. And I think one of the most important things that we need to do is see how God sees us instead of how we think we see us. Often we see ourselves as inadequate, Often we're striving to get to some ministry or gift or, or ability in God or, or place in grace or whatever else we're doing. And we, we see that we have to move forward in this more and more and more. And yet God might see us completely different. How many people have seen the movie The Matrix? Now I know how many worldly people are in the room now. That's, no, I've watched it many times. Own it. I think it's a brilliant movie. But Neo, the lead actor or the lead character in the movie which is an anagram for one right because he was the one and through the movies really he is the savior of mankind to bring peace and unity again but he doesn't know that at the beginning He just knows he's got a calling there's something that's niggling away inside him and he's sort of searching for what the matrix is and as Morpheus says to him he says no one can tell you what the matrix is you have to see it for yourself you know, he has to find that way. And through the movie, Neo starts to believe in who he is and starts to exude supernatural power to actually show mankind the truth and to set them free. And he slowly becomes who he was called to be, who he was made to be, who is designed to be in his DNA, just as we are in God, right? And so many times I think, you know, because most of us here, we've taken the red pill right we've gone down the rabbit hole we've gone into wonderland as the movie says to find out what is really the truth in neo's world it was about getting rid of the matrix which was a false reality coming back into the real world and seeing that for the falseness it is in our case it's the fact that we're taken out of this world translated into the kingdom of his son and the kingdom of jesus to actually realize that this world isn't the real world but the real world is a spiritual world and the battle going on and we're in the kingdom of god and we're taking the victory right so we're in a very similar sort of a scenario in a much more spiritual sense. The veil is removed in Christ, isn't it? And suddenly you see the truth, the new realm. Who are we? We are in Christ, don't we? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Literally saying in the Greek, a creature, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That true? I believe that in me, even if you don't see it 100% as yet. (laughs) All the good things in me God's worked on, all the things that you don't see that are good, he's still working on, right? But you claim it by faith. I, um, in the sixth form, year 12, uh, these days, of course, uh, I was very reflective that particular year. And at the end of that year, I um, came out to the conclusion that the only purpose that was worth pursuing in life was to serve God. I wasn't going to church, wasn't talking to any Christians, but I had gone to Sunday school and I had been given a little Gideon's Bible in the third form, which I had kept and treasured. I had read a couple of the Gospels, didn't mean much to me, didn't know quite why people got excited about it, but I believed that God was the answer. I believed that everything else was pointless in the end when I you know, philosophically thought about it. Chasing money, possessions, fame, it all just passed away. It was all pointless in the end. It was all short-term. And so I wanted to seek after God. But it was two or three years before I became a Christian because I didn't understand who Jesus was. I didn't understand what the message was. So I tried to be a good person. And the more I tried to be a good person, the more I slipped into the, <laughs> the wrong things in life. About a year later is actually when I gave my life to God. I was racing someone in a car in the wet on a country road, lost control at about 130 k's an hour, and as the car started to go slideways, it all went to slow motion, and I said, God, I'm yours. (laughs) I'm not taking any more chances here. I didn't think I was going to live out of that. I really didn't. It must have slowed down to about 100 k's an hour. As I'm slipping through this long grass. I don't know if there's logs in it, ditches or whatever on the side of the road. All I could see is just grass ripping under the car. And fortunately, I stopped pointing the other way without having rolled or crashed. Or, and I think, thank God, that's good. But still, I wasn't attending church or talking to any Christians. And yet, somehow, God was working in my heart. And then, a year or two later, a couple of years later, actually, I... Uh, knew this guy who was a christian and he said "Oh, come around to my birthday party and uh you know there's going to be sort of half christians half not christians you know i said oh it sounds good because even through all this time you know no matter what state i was in at a party or anything i would still if god came up i'd argue for god you know sort of crazy but in my heart i was still there anyway i thought that was that was good so i came around to this birthday party and here's the whole youth group and i was the only non-christian there I was most annoyed and offended, to be honest, at being conned in this way. And I thought, as soon as I get the first opportunity to leave, I'm out the door. I'm gone, you know. I did not appreciate that being sneaky, sort of, uh, about getting me there. Anyway, first opportunity that was polite to leave. I uh, got up and went out the kitchen, just about to get to the back door, and this girl walked in who I went to school with, who I knew was a Christian, and she had something else on for a while and came late. Anyway, we... We ended up in this friendly argument, friendly discussion, if you like. And she she said, you are a Christian. And I said, no, I'm not. And that's how it was going. She was arguing that you are a Christian. All you do is you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. And she said, Jesus has paid the price for you. Because I was trying to be better. I was trying to be a better person. I was trying to somehow attain to some level that I would be acceptable to God. Even though I believed in my heart, I didn't understand what Jesus had done. And she said, no, all you have to do is accept him. Accept him into your life and believe what he has done for you. He's paid the price and so forth. And so I went home that night and I prayed that prayer just quietly in my bed at night and really felt his presence come in and change from that moment forward. I attended church the next day and haven't stopped attending church. So it's an interesting case, isn't it, where I was trying to be something, but until I understood who I was in Christ or who what he had done for me, I couldn't get anywhere. I tried it myself and failed for years. But in Christ, I can do all things. Amen? Amen. See, in 1 John 4, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, that's an amazing statement. I I love how the Bible sort of blows you away when you start thinking about it as he is now so are we here now it's an interesting statement isn't it as he is now so are we in this world now don't we have his spirit the spirit of god living in us don't we have his name and the right to use his name authority over all things don't we aren't we his body and he is the head don't we have his word So where's Jesus now? I'm not saying anyone stole him. I'm just not convicting anyone. Where's Jesus now? Right hand of the Father, seated in the throne, right? Well, what about us? In Ephesians 2, in verse 5 and 6, it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, in Christ Jesus, I'm already seated in heavenly places, and so are you. That by faith, the Father, when He raised up, Jesus said, every other believer that's going to believe in Jesus is going to be seated in Him, because I see you in Him. You are in Christ, and everything Christ has, you have. Okay? Well, Jesus is one with the Father. You know, isn't that a little bit higher than we are? Well, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him so all the fullness of the father omnipotent god dwells in jesus and we completely dwell in jesus so we're completely in union with the father aren't we amen well what about health for example don't we always see that a little bit doubtful Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Back at Calvary. Not going to be, not will be, but were healed. Past tense. See, I was in Christ in a sense, I was with him when he took the sins. I was with him when he took the stripes. I was with him when he paid the price for his own sins and sicknesses and disease and so forth. In the sense, we were all set through that. So now in Christ, my sins have been paid. My sickness and diseases have gone. I am now free because I am as Christ is. That's, how, that's the identification. I didn't physically go through that, but I did in the sense of identifying with him. What about our needs being met? Well, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Have you ever thought why God didn't tell Jesus what day he's coming back again? Because he said no one knows the day, not even the Son, only the Father. Because we've got the mind of Christ. The Father tells Him we know. Right? He identifies with us in a sense more than He does with the Father. He's one with us. I just think that's astounding. Righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Him. Okay, By His sacrifice, by what He's done by identification with him that's just brilliant it's amazing that i would become the righteousness of god in him and you would become the righteousness of god in him as far as the east is from the west he's taken our sins from us the psalm says i love that he doesn't say north south i could measure that east west i can't i'm lost i don't know how far apart those two are it's just infinite isn't it it's brilliant what about miracles well jesus came and did some mighty miracles what about us well, John fourteen twelve says, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Aren't we his body? Aren't we the ones, the hands and legs and the and the, the feet that take out and be Jesus to the world? That do the miracles that he's called us to do? Power and authority. Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. That's just an example of the fact that as he is, so are we in this world. But yet, where do we live? Where do we see ourselves as inadequate many times instead of actually coming back and saying, no, in the presence of wherever I am, I am Jesus in that situation. That he has called me, empowered me, enabled me to do what he's called me to do, to do the things that he did, to be I'm ambassador for Christ to this world. Amen? Our Father sees us in Jesus, and yet we often don't see it the same way. But we need to see it from His perspective. This is all to His glory, not to mine, not to yours or anything else. This is all so we can fulfill what He's called us to do, isn't it? And yet we live so far below. You see, there's another kingdom that operates like in a different dimension. In this world, there's police that can you know, keep everyone safe. In his world, there's angels. In this world, there's doctors who can do some great works, but in his world, there's divine healing. You know, there's a, there's a, a type in a sense between the two kingdoms all the way. One is the power of God and the other one is the power of man and the, what he's achieved. They're all good, but they're just, they're limited. But God's is not. I love Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen? I confess that a lot. I've yet to see the total manifestation of it, but I keep confessing it. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, 3, he has said he's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm not sure if I put that one in there. He's already given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We're going to ask for a spiritual blessing, but he said, I've already given it to you. So many times we ask for things when he's already given it to us. It's like coming along with salvation, isn't it? And God, please, please, would you come and die again for me? Would you please save me? Would you please you know, pay the price? And you say, well, hang on a minute, I've already done that. All you have to do is receive it. Take it by faith. See, who are you in God's eyes? You know, we talk about belonging. This is the connection. This is the belonging to one another in Christ to God, all in one. Jesus in chapter 17 of John, he said, I pray that you all may be one, even as the Father and I are one. He wants us to be as close to one another in the Spirit of God as the Trinity is to one another. That's just astounding. I mean, he's, he's got this level way up here, where we are what any of us have. I sort of think, am I Christ or am I Chris? Yeah, the difference between Chris and Christ is there's a cross on the end. I got a letter one day addressed to Christ Hubbard. I should have framed it, I suppose. It was from the Minister's fraternal when I was pastoring. And I thought, Wow, I have I have I have made it, you know, I've really got there. They esteemed me so highly until I realised that their computer system making the labels only took six characters of my name. Christopher obviously was shortened. It was the most high height to fall from. But am I walking in him or in me? You know, Sheridan was talking at a meeting this week about David and Goliath, and I was thinking about David and Goliath, you know, and, and David didn't just wander past he it. Hey, he's a nine-foot giant. Let's so see if I can knock him off. You know, it wasn't a sudden thing. You know, he had been with his sheep and he had, he had sort of got into the word of God and believed God, and, and, you know, he'd fought a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He'd only had a sling and a knife. That's pretty brave. I don't know whether I want the lion or the giant, you know, to be honest. Yeah, they're both pretty awesome. I would have started with rats, you know, moved up to possums, <laughs> growing my faith, you know, wild dogs about that point, you know. So when he came to Goliath and he realized that Goliath was putting down Israel's God, and he says, who, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, you haven't got a covenant with God. We have. And I'll show you by the name of God, and I'll, I'll kill you, and I'll cut your head off, and I will def, defy you in, against your gods, and our God is greater than your God, and I'm going to kill you this day, you know? He, he just rushed out there and went for it. I love the fact that he, didn't, he couldn't put on the armor of Saul, you know? But he just used what he knew. He'd used the sling all his life. Probably would have got a gold medal in the, well, not the Winter Olympics, but the Summer Olympics at sling throwing or something, you know? He used what he knew, and he knew God would take it further. I mean, people often say, why did he have five stones in his pouch? Well, he just knew that one of them was going to work. You know, he just, that was up to God. Great, that was the first one. I've never had to kill a lion or a bear, and I haven't come across many nine-foot giants. I don't know about you, but they're pretty rare these days. But I, I remember one time we were having a house group out at a young family who were on a farm and uh, we were holding it on Wednesday nights because they had a young baby and she was saved and, but he, he wasn't too sure about the whole thing. So we were having a house group up there and they were, they were happy about that. And one day we had to go out to drop something off and I can't remember what it was. It was a Monday and uh, I went out to the farm and they've got this big Rottweiler and it was always chained up out the back and I'd never met it because it was evidently quite vicious. And uh, I went out there, and uh, this is the before the days of cell phones, you know, just after they invented the wheel. So it's going back a while. Um, so anyway, I drove up, and more and the kids were in the car, the gate was closed, so I just went up through the gate. And I got about a third of the way up this farm road towards the house, and out comes this Rottweiler. And I tell you, it was like it was on rabies or something. It was just, you know, growling, barking, sort of foaming at the mouth, and running at me full speed. And I thought, I do not have time to get back to the gate. What do I do now? One of those moments, you know, I didn't have a sling, didn't have a knife. And uh, fortunately, you know, I've been claiming some of the scriptures like, you know, no harm shall befall you, no disaster shall come near your tent, for he shall command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, Psalm 91, and a few other scriptures and started to believe in, in what he had promised me. And I thought, okay, I can use what I've got for a different no reason. There's no marks on it, nothing. It just died overnight. The next day, so I thought I never prayed against the dog, I tell you I didn't. But I thought God defends us, doesn't he? Looks after us, and so forth. The sad thing was in that particular story is not the fact about the dog in some ways, that that was some sad, but it was quite vicious, so it wasn't a loss in that sense. <laughs> well, I was thinking about their little kids and things. Um is that the, the husband, many times I had a conversation with him, and you could see him, the Holy Spirit was on him saying, you know, that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life. And he said, yeah, I know, but no, I don't want to. And so eventually they moved out of town. They moved somewhere down Wellington Way, I think. Um, I lost track of them. But I heard from a friend of mine that he had had a car accident about a year later, hit a power pole, and had severe da- brain damage and physical damage. I don't think he ever recovered from that. So, you never know what your time is, or your timing is, and so forth. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? About where the Holy Spirit is leading. Anyway, get back onto the topic. How do we become like Christ? How do we become like Him? If we're identifying with Him, we've got these promises and, and everything else. How do we become like Him? 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 should be there somewhere. That he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And yet we go and ask for it, but he's actually already given it to us. And he said, Well, how do you get it? By the great and precious promises. So you might be partakers of the divine nature, the spiritual mirror, that you might become like God in love and in power and in meeting people's needs and have the ability to go out and do all that he's called you to do. Isn't that amazing? that he's given you all things. And yet, where do we often walk? Which mirror do we often look in? I know myself, I often look in the natural mirror. Well, not the natural mirror, but the soulish mirror. And see myself in this world instead of seeing myself in who God sees me as. I need to look more and more into the word of God and see who he has made me to be in Christ Jesus. In Christ. Need to walk by the spiritual mirror, don't we? Walking in the promises. See, confession brings Possession. Many people have heard of the phrases uh, "blab it and grab it" or um, "name it and claim it." Anyone heard those sort of statements before? Few people. I like the one: "Confession brings possession." Better. I actually believe in all those statements. to Be honest. You know, I sort of those people who say, "Oh, you can't name it and claim it." I say "Well, what did you do with salvation? Didn't you take a promise in the Bible? Just name it and claim it." That's what you did. You know? This promises me salvation. I'm going to receive that in the name of Jesus and I'm going to accept him as my Lord and Savior. Didn't you just name and claim it? You received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Didn't you just name and claim it? And what's different? If he's promised it in his word and he wants you to have it, what's the issue? I don't get that. I'm not into these, you know, making millions and driving a gold-plated car and stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking the things that he's given you to actually get by in life here, to meet your needs, to heal your body, to be a minister for him. Nothing wrong with that. I'll give you a little tip just as we finish off here. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 and 9. But what does it say? A word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? We, we all know that scripture. What comes first, the saying or the believing? Right? The word is near you, in your mouth and then in your heart. If you confess with your mouth, and then you believe in your heart. See, so often we get it the other way around. Once I believe it, I'll say it. But actually the Bible says, say it and then you believe it. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Many times that actually can come out of your own mouth to put the faith in. You know, when you start speaking forth the word of God. And you might actually not believe it that much at the first. But you keep confessing it and saying it out loud. And you do start to believe it and receive it. We can't see ourselves in the flesh. We've got to see ourselves in the spiritual kingdom. Like the matrix, we've been zapped out, you know. There's a different realm here, different abilities in God. In Mark 11, uh, verse 23, I'll give you another example just to back it up. Two or three witnesses is always a good thing. Mark 11, verse 23. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. All right, so we say before we believe. And there's three says there and one believe. I almost say you probably want to say it three times as much as you believe it, if that makes sense. Confess it. Confess what God says about you and who you are. Joshua, I'll give you a third witness just to make sure we're on solid ground. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He says to Joshua, he's got to lead this difficult bunch of people into the promised land. And Joshua is actually the same name that Jesus had, Yeshua. It's the same, it means salvation. It's sort of an example of Jesus coming, in a sense. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. From your mouth. And then you'll have good success. Isn't that amazing? And yet, how many times do we read the Word of God, but we don't have to confess it and take the promises and stay hold of them? So I want, to, I want to encourage you today to take hold of the promises. In fact, I would encourage if you want to look through the Bible and find all those ones that says in Christ, in Jesus, in Him. Look up those scriptures in the New Testament and find out what He says about you. Who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, old things are passed away. In Christ, all things have become new. And all things are of God. Amen. That's good news because I don't really want the old me. No one cheered? That's good. Okay. Let's look into God's mirror and find out who we are in Christ. Amen? Can I leave it there with you? Just encourage you to get into His Word. You can always measure a person's spiritual or uh, spiritual life by how much you're in the Word, to be honest. And yet, so many people I meet today saying, oh, no, I can't read the Word. No, that's too hard. If you want to be powerful in God, get into his word, confess his word, find the promises, speak forth what he says about you, get into his mirror, be who he says you are, and you'll be overcomers and victorious in every situation. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you.